This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome, everybody, to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. And it's definitely a pretty decent one outside, I would say. I know Lewis was out there. My dad was outside on my way here. And it was a beautiful Saturday morning. So if you're enjoying yourself, however you're doing so, and we appreciate the heck out of you for listening, and be it through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. That old school FM dial, the tower power, too sweet to be sour. Or if you're listening to us via those fancy schmancy smart speakers like your Amazon Echo, Google Home, just tell your smart speakers to play 103.7 The Game. It's just that simple. We appreciate you however you're doing so on this Louisiana Saturday morning listening to the program. And appreciate your listenership as per the norm. And we got a great show planned for you. Coming to you live, as always, from the Palatial 1037 The Game Studios. And we got a, again, a great show planned for you today. Going to have Ross Jackson on the program at around 1230. Talk about those New Orleans Saints. And we got college football. It's getting started. And I'm absolutely yoked for it because it's Saturday. It's, and we get so much more in terms of wall-to-wall college football coverage versus any other weekend of the year. I know this weekend would probably be just Army-Navy in its own little bubble or championship Saturday, somewhere along those lines, this is better because we get so much more bang for our proverbial buck. So if you're enjoying yourself, and now we're going to go ahead and take a look back at last night. And last night was a very entertaining Friday night for football in the Acadiana area. So let's get to it right now. We start at Acadiana High. The Acadiana High Reckon Rams, the number one seed in Class 5A, taking on number eight, Mandeville. And the Acadiana High Reckon Rams wreck shop and advance to the next round of the postseason with a 21 to nothing victory over the Skippers of Mandeville. Look at it, Class, excuse me, class 4A. And it was an absolute Mall Dragon and then some for the Karenko Golden Bears. They rolled all over Plaquemine with an 81 to 14 win. You got to be kidding me. LA, that was an absolute beatdown. A1 to 14 inside the open air Crodome. Those Golden Bears advance to the semifinals. In the other matchup class 4A, Edna Carr take on Eunice and Eunice. Falls to Edna Carr, who beat him 40-7. Wow. And the number one seed in Class 3A, the Jennings program, came up short, losing to number nine seeded Madison Prep. 
blown away by that one, to say the very least. Seeing Madison Prep, no surprise there, but seeing a number one seat fall is always a shock to the system. Especially Jennings has been a really good program over the last couple of years with guys like Travis and Trevor Agian really kind of leading the way. But there are a lot of other 3A matchups, including the number four seed Church Point pulling off the win over St. James. It was a defensive slugfest, and those Church Point that Church Point program, 14 to seven victors. They're moving on. St. Martinville taking on Union Parish, the number two seed Union Parish took care of business with a 47 to six win over St. Martinville. Then you have Kinder Lauraville squaring off. Six versus three seed and an upset in the making with the number six seed Kinder beating Lauraville in double overtime. You heard it right here. That was a ball game to say the least. One for the ages and Lauraville comes up just a little bit short. Then we have in District 1A, Grand Lake beats Centerville 27 to six. So largely a lot of the Acadiana area teams that Advance to the next round. They are no longer in the playoffs in the non-select brackets. Now we get to the select side of things. Division 2. It was all about St. Thomas Moore taking on the U-High Cubs. Two versus three seed. And this lived up to the hype. And then some highly competitive. And St. Thomas Moore is advancing to the Superdome. Excuse me. Northwestern State up in Natchitoches. They're going up to Turpin Stadium in two weeks' time. Taking on University Lab, taking on that program, and they came away with a 31 to 23 victory. Division three, the Greenies and the LCA Knights in a semifinal matchup that everybody had a lot of hype behind. Obviously, you have some of the big players in there. You have Arch Manning. Everybody was looking forward to that ball game. Everybody was talking about it. But at the end of the day, the Greenies come up short to LCA 21 to seven victors. LCA. The Pios came up short last night, losing to St. Charles 24-22. Oh, man, tough break for Louis Cook and the Pios. Can't wait to see what that program does next season. And then finally, in Division 4, it was a barn burner, to say the very least, when it comes to a Division 4 semifinal matchup with Vermillion Catholic taking on Watchtaw Talk Christian who have a Cajuns commit in Hunter Herring, the quarterback. But yet, Vermillion Catholic come up just short in overtime, 36-34. to Watchdog Christian gets the win. Vermillion Catholic season came to a disappointing end. But just an overall very entertaining contest between those two. That's all you kind of ask for. And now let's kind of look at some of those matchups across the state for next week for the semifinals in the select divisions, the non-select bracket, I should say. And then we'll talk about those select teams with their finals that are not going to be this week, but next week, starting from December 27th through the 30th. So that's not going to be this coming Sunday, not next Sunday, but the next one. It'll be starting then, like right after Christmas, two days after Christmas. And we start off with the Acadiana High Reckon Rams taking on Destran, a one versus five seed. Destran came away with a six nothing win over Rustin. Definitely going to be highly competitive. 
Meanwhile, this was a big upset here as well. Alexandria, just outside of the coverage area here in terms of the Acadian area, Alexandria comes away with a 31-28 win over Zachary last night. The Broncos, who are always kind of a contender, fell just short 31-28 to the sixth seed Alexandria, who are going to be taking on West Monroe, who shut out East St. John 27, excuse me, they won 27-8. They actually did score a touchdown. Sometimes these eights look like zeros, looking at how the LHSA puts it in their brackets. Then we got Carrico, obviously destroyed Plaquemine beyond belief. They'll be taking on Neville, who beat Minden on Thursday night, 27 to nothing. This will be at the open air Crotum, as far as I can tell. That's to be this this coming Friday night over at the open air Crotum. Carrico Neville, probably the most most anticipated matchup in the entire playoffs next week. Warren Easton, Edna Carr, six seed taking on the two seed. That's going to be a lot of fun. Warren Easton came away with a 62-27 to win over Tioga. And then Edna Carr beat down Eunice, as I mentioned earlier, 40-7. to Manny taking on General Trask, the one seed, taking on a 12 seed who upset Helena St. Helena Career College and Career Academy, 42-18. to Lorville, Kinder. Kinder is going to be taking on Mangum, who beat Port Allen yesterday, on Thursday, I should say, 35-19. to then Oak Grove's going to be taking on Homer. Oak Grove beat Logan's Port last week, uh, last night, 67-14. Homer beats White Castle 18-13. Grand Lake takes care of business against Centerville. They'll be taking on East Iberville, who beat Haynesville 25-15. And then in Division One, you got Catholic High, Baton Rouge going to their sixth straight state title game after beating Brother Martin 49-31. And C.E. Bird going to be taking on Catholic High Baton Rouge after winning 14-13 over John Curtis. Then it's match a rematch of last year. De La Salle, St. Thomas Moore, one versus two. It was all chalk here with De La Salle winning 42-2 over E.D. White. So that's going to be a fun ball game for your state final in Division Two. Your state final Division Three Lafayette Christian Academy taking on St. Charles. Definitely going to be a fun ball game between those two programs in about a couple weeks. Then we get to Division Four. It's Watchdog Christian taking on Calvary Baptist. So again, those programs, the, the select brackets, they got to wait an extra week till they play again. And that's going to be a lot of fun. I think the fact you're actually going to have this contest go down the way it is, is huge. And the way they're actually going to be able to pull this off is even better because of the fact that, you know, this was the right, uh, I think this is the right thing to do. Yes, it sucks that these players won't have the opportunity to play inside the Superdome. It's fine. Because here, here's my take on it. I think it's perfectly fine that the that this is where it is because of the fact that you were put up against the proverbial wall. Look at what's happened just in the last week, or just in the last few days, I should say, because of the fact that the City of New Orleans said, hey, we're going to go ahead and push back the number of fans we're going to have in the stands for next week's contest between the Saints and the Kansas City Chiefs to 3,000. Who's to say in two weeks' time, LaToya the Destroyer can't trail, which, by the way, sounds like a great wrestling gimmick, LaToya the Destroyer. She, without a doubt, could turn around and say, hey, no fans at all. We're back to phase one. Who's to say that doesn't happen? and no fans in the stands at all. You've got to try to operate within a profit. 
And I think that's where the LHSA is, is at the end of the day. I'm, I know everybody would want to say, why not Cajun Field? Cajun Field's not going to be used. It's the turf field. That's going to work out really well. It's going to be the best case scenario for that program. I agree with that statement. I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. But I feel like this may have been more of a budgetary reason. Maybe the, the price to book a Cajun Field. I don't know off the top of my head. But I can about imagine that the the possibility of paying to go to have these teams play inside the Cajun may have been a little bit more expensive versus booking it at Turpin Stadium, a stadium that hasn't been used at all this year. They're going to be using it until the spring. So I'm sure Northwestern State would love to have that money come their way. I think this works. I think it's perfect situation, perfect timing. And you're able to have fans in the stands. That's the most important thing because you are having these programs, these high school teams, make money instead of having to make a trip over to you know the Superdome and you don't have a damn person in that building besides the players and the TV crews and the radio crews. I feel like this was the best case scenario to do it for this year only. It's only the second time in the history, since like the 1980s, since they moved it to the Superdome the state championship games, that it's not going to be inside the Superdome. It was in the independent stadium. That dump of a stadium back in 2005 due to Hurricane Katrina, but again, the right way to go about it, at least to me. Maybe you disagree with me. The Twin Peaks hotline is open, 337 Going to have Ross Jackson aboard at 1230. It's under the dome with CD, and we'll be back after this. And we'll talk about those LSU Tigers. Maybe that'll get people riled up. I know it did last week. I know it got me riled up. We'll talk about those Tigers and more right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome at CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We're feeling good on a Saturday. As per the usual, make sure you call us up right now at 337 The Twin Peaks hotline is wide open. And, you know, we obviously we got a lot to talk about the LSU Tigers right about now. I know, obviously, we got a game going on today, and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to be a very good game. Because it just feels like this Tigers team has basically given up. And I feel like maybe to a certain extent they gave up pretty much before the month of September. And I have to agree with a lot of what I've heard all week long. Especially once you hear more and more about maybe why we saw this team check out. The way that they did. But I'll get to that in a minute. Because I want to talk about what's going on with that LSU team. And they turning down a bowl bid and doing a self-imposed one-year bowl ban versus what you know the Pitt Panthers I'm going to bring them up real quick the Pitt Panthers actually chose to not be part of a bowl game and go ahead and pack it in 
mind you, that Pitt program actually was six and five to end the year. They won Thursday night, thirty four twenty over Georgia Tech. So they did really well. They were above five hundred. If this were any other year, they would have a seat at the table in a bowl game. They decided not to participate in a bowl game. I think this may have just been out of pure caution with COVID-19 and whatnot, and it's near the holiday season. Why not just kind of hang it up? You're not playing for a big bowl game. You're not playing one of those more premier games like they have in the past. That's fine. But when it comes right down to it, I think that LSU doing this when they did it, because they could have done this at any point in the season. Like They could have done this as a whole bundle from Jump Street. The second those allegations started coming out and they announced they were undergoing an investigation and they announced all the sanctions for what happened a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I should say now, with what was going on with Odell Beckham and the John Paul Funes thing, all that stuff. You could have probably said, you know what? We're going to self-impose a bull ban then. And the NCAA would have been like, okay, that's cool. You know, Y'all suck this year. That's perfectly fine that y'all are going to go ahead and and step out and say this in October. Not with two games left in the season after you had one of your worst losses to Alabama in the history of that rivalry. In the entire history of that rivalry, you've never lost that bad. So I'll say this. LSU is getting what's coming to them when it comes to the NCAA sanctions. Because I would not be surprised if there's still going to be something dealt to them. This ain't going to be a slap on the wrist. I feel like they are going to pimp slap LSU because of the fact that they definitely handled this thing improperly. It definitely feels like it's not Baylor bad, but it's still pretty damn bad. And we're hearing, it's like you can never get away from bad news once it starts coming out. It's like a spigot. It's like basically it just keeps dripping out day in and day out. It's almost like whenever you see like a somebody get punch in the head a lot and they just start bleeding it just comes out and it comes out and gushes and gushes and gushes we're sitting here and we're seeing LSU the purple and gold that they bleed it's seeping out and it's and it's going to take a lot more than flex tape to fix this bad boy and it's just you wonder where it all went wrong I mean there's a lot of different angles I don't know all the answers I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have all the answers because I don't because I'm not in that locker room I'm not that close to the program. I don't have insiders telling me inside information and me using it to create clout on social media like Facebook and Twitter. I don't have those kind of things going for me. I don't have a Facebook live show every single day. I don't have these sources telling me all these stories. That's just not how I how I operate. But I still think that there's a lot wrong with this program. And the bull ban was the dumbest thing you could have ever done because it really makes you look like a goof a geek doing that in almost mid-December of 2020 when you still got two games left to play. If you did this in October, nobody would have talked about it. If you did this in October, the NCAA wouldn't still be on your backside, still wouldn't be on your six. I can almost guarantee you that right here, right now. LSU doing that? I think the NCAA is going to come down on them. I'm not saying death penalty. I'm not saying they're going to drop the hammer on them. But I think there's going to be some stuff going on that everybody is going to be talking about for a while. And it's going to have ramifications for years to come. 
Now, what's next for LSU beyond this season? I talked about it a little bit last week. Next year is that year where it's State of the Union. It's time to figure out whether or not you have a true plan after this year. As I talked about last week, I think to a certain extent, Coach O only had a three-year plan. Mind you, I think Derek Banamski used that three-year plan to get out of sports radio, which he was kind of overrated at from what I've heard. He used that as the platform to get out of that rack, get out of that gig, and become the personal assistant, the the advocate, I guess you could say, for Coach O. It was a smart idea, but what else has he done since then? We haven't heard a peep out of him after the national title game, after all the national title tours. And maybe that also was part of the reason why the team gave up on. Maybe it was part of the reason why the players just, he wasn't in good favor with them, at least to me. Because LSU had every chance to do good things. Now, obviously we're defining good. I think anything more than three wins is considered a good year for this team versus what we got now, where they got three wins and that's all they're going to get more likely than not because they're playing two really good offenses the next two weeks. Tonight against Florida, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida puts up 50. Next week against Ole Miss, I wouldn't be surprised if they put up 35, 40 points on their backside, and LSU just can't quite get out of first gear. That's where I'm at right now. I I feel like LSU has every chance to do great things every single year. But for some reason, more than any other, other year, this team has fallen to Curly Hallman levels of ineptitude. Now, be it, you know, all the opt-outs, all those players leaving, but there's no way that you can have 14 players all get drafted away and what you're left with can't get you to 500. And I understand some of those opt-outs. Terrace Marshall, he quit on the team. He pretty much Q-U-I-T quit the team. Eric Gilbert, I think there may be more to it. I'm not going to say he quit on the team, gave up on him. If he comes back next year, I think he's going to. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because, again, you know, he may be homesick. I think mental health definitely plays a large role in this. I think mental health plays a large role in a lot of these players' lives. So I completely can understand where he's coming from if he comes back. If he goes ahead and says, I'm out, I'm opting out for the rest of the year, and I'm not coming back, that's a different conversation. I don't know what's going to go on after that. I mean, who's to say that this time next or this time tomorrow that – Ed Ingram says, hey, I'm opting out. I'm focusing on the NFL draft. Who's to say? Who's the next one to fall? And right now, LSU has 69 players on their roster right now. So if you have a decent-sized outbreak of COVID-19 during that, heading into the final game of the season, you're going to be out like within like 24 hours. Because I don't think you can get that 53. And then everybody else just says, peace out. I think this is where we're at right now with LSU. They have every chance to turn this around next year. But if they don't turn it around, and by turning it around, I think realistically, if you get a 12-game season, LSU 
has to. There's a bar that LSU has to hit, and I'll, uh, you, if you have your opinion on what bar LSU needs to hit next season, and not Tigerland bars, we're talking about the actual bar of win loss record where they need to be in order to keep Ed Ogeron around. Because I think Ed Ogeron's leash is going to be very short next year, especially if more information about the violations, those Title IX violations come out, the more stuff we hear about it. There could be a chance he does get fired during the offseason. I feel like that's minimal. I think we see a lot of other guys get the axe, especially in the assistant ranks. I'm just wondering where we go with Ed Ogeron. And for me, the bar for Ed Ogeron next season is where it should be. Eight and four. In a 12-game season, if you're going to have a 12-game season, you go eight and four. He has the the chain, the, the, basically the leash, loosened up a little bit. He's no longer on a hot seat, but it's a warm one. Because if he screws up again, then the conversation becomes... This is a bigger problem. We're going to get you out of here. Because the standard of excellence at LSU that we've set here, and you also set here, you are way down here. If LSU finishes 6-6, six and 5-7, six, and seven, somewhere along those lines, I think Ed Ogeron has gone pecan. And I understand that you know he's dealt with a lot of stuff over the last couple of years. I understand the last year he's dealt with a lot with the divorce of his wife and all the stuff that he's going on, that he's got going on in his life. But at the end of the day, I was th- saying this to a friend of mine the other night, and I just thought about it. Coach O and the LSU Tigers this year, it's a lot like Major League Two because they had so much hype after all the success they had. They let that kind of become themselves. And I think that may be the culture that LSU has. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm wrong. If you think I'm wrong, call me at 337-706-0111. We're going to take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Back after this with more Under the Dome. Every time CD takes the mic. It's like a box of chocolates. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome at CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037, the game. 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 1037 Game Studios, the Twin Peaks Hotline. Still open, 337-706-0111. If you want to chat up about anything, and I mean anything, I'm open for it. But when it comes, I think this is another thing that I've been thinking about all this week. Is about what's going on with the Sunbelt Conference. Because there's a clear shift going on right now, and it's starting to make me think. Because I talked about this with Blaine a little bit yesterday on Bumper to Bumper Sports, is the fact that I think the Sunbelt Conference is going to undergo a significant paradigm shift. And this is that year. Especially when it comes to one program in particular. And that's be South Alabama. Because I still think UL Monroe, and this isn't 
shade or anything about ULM. I just feel like ULM is going to wind up being an FCS conference in five years. It's just the way things are set up right now, it's not conducive to growth. It's conducive to regression. The fact that they got rid of a head coach that had probably great potential but just had no backing, I think that ULM is starting to wave the proverbial white flag. There's nobody going to those games. There's nobody going to go watch the the Warhawks play, bottom line. What's next for that program? Right now, I don't know. What I do know is this, that South Alabama has a chance, and just a chance. I don't know what their numbers are like, the economics of it all, but they have a chance to make a move that's going to build them up back to being more relevant. And again, they have to compete with two elite programs to get great players from the state of Alabama. Just in the Yellowhammer State in and of itself, they've got to deal with Alabama, Auburn, and I'd say to a lesser extent, obviously, UAB. They've got to compete with UAB. It's not like, I've talked about it before, there are levels to the way things work in the state of Louisiana. And I've got a lot of those takes when it comes to how things are. The state of Louisiana and college sports, LSU's always going to be on the top tier. That is understood. Then you've got, depending on what year it is, I think this year we're starting to see the Cajuns become that second-tier team, that second-tier program that's right below LSU. And that's not meant to be a, a knock at them. I just think that this year they're probably the top-tier team. But in terms of the draw, the prestige of it all, I think the Cajuns are still second place. But this year, just in terms of the actual product they put on the field, Cajuns are first by a mile. I think it's, in terms of the overall sports product, it's LSU, Cajuns, Tulane, La Tech. You can kind of intermittently swap those out. ULM's at the bottom. Over in Yellowhammer State, for instance, where you've got probably four really good programs you're having to compete against on the recruiting trail, Alabama, Auburn, UAB, especially with South Alabama, you have to compete against UAB. Not only that, you're going to have to compete against the Louisiana programs, the Mississippi programs too. Because I think the Mississippi's, it, it's you have to kind of deal with that part of that of the equation. But I think it's more important for whoever's going to take over that job to build a winning culture and a consistent winning culture. Because South Alabama shows they can win, but win consistently. And become a lot more than an afterthought in the kind of way things are in the Sunbelt Conference. Because, again, using a tier system, I think the Cajuns, Coastal Carolina, and App State are quickly becoming the top tier. It's no longer App State and everybody else. I think it's App State, Cajuns, and Coastal. And then you got Troy a little bit further down. They've still got some things to figure out in the post-Neil Brown era. you got South Alabama, probably down with ULM. Arkansas State without Blake Anderson, I don't know where that thing's going to go. That's another thing. Blake Anderson moved on, went go to Utah State, and now that team's without a head coach. And that team has so much potential to do great things. This is a program 
a couple years ago that was absolutely giving the Cajuns headaches, especially when they made those trips up to Jonesboro. Now the Cajuns have started to take over that rivalry. And that's through no fault of, you know, Blake Anderson. He had the opportunity to go leave. I give him credit for taking that opportunity because at one point, you've got to realize if you're a head coach, you've only got so many chances before that door closes and you stay being a head coach at a lower-level program. Because you look at what Blake Anderson took over. He took over a program that had seen head coaches go through the turnstiles about 50, 11 times during that like mid-2010s. Casey forgot Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn were head coaches. Harson went to Boise State. Let's just go ahead and look through this because through three years straight, you went through Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, Brian Harson. He wound up hitching his trailer over to Boise State right after that season. And then they get Blake Anderson. Blake Anderson in 2013, he sticks around for seven seasons. I should say six seasons because he started in 2014. This is huge to be able to get this man on the payroll and have him stick around. And he did that because I think there's so many players that could have been taken over. So many coaches, I should say, they could have been, he could have wound up getting more opportunities down the road. Because he's a great guy from all I've heard. And now he has that opportunity to go play Utah, to go coach at Utah State. And that could be a landing pad for something else down the road because he definitely has every opportunity to do some great things in 2020 and beyond. Again, six years as a head coach at Arkansas State and did some really cool things during that time frame. Getting to bowl games every single year at Arkansas State. That's saying something. The fact that 2014, every year, made it to a bowl game. Obviously, this year, he won't be coaching a team in a bowl game. Because the fact, I mean, I know they don't have the ability to get every Sunbelt Conference team in there, and they have a little bit of a less record this year versus any other year. But I'm looking forward to seeing what this program does in the future to be able to keep this train rolling. Because, remember, this is a program that hasn't necessarily always been great, but they have the chance to be great because they're going to be able to feast on a really good tri-state area. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with those Arkansas State Red Wolves and see if they continue to be top tier. If they continue to be in that tier two of the way things work in the Sunbelt Conference, there's a way where they can work this out. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes because I want to see the Sunbelt succeed because they have so much like talent all the way around. They have so much going for it in the right direction. They've got so much going for it in 2020. I want to see what they do. I want to see the potential that this program has and seeing the potential that the Sunbelt really has to do something great because I think they have vastly improved over the last 
three years. Hell, the last six years, they've improved by leaps and bounds. And you can see it just in terms of the overall records and the way people look at it. Because look at those programs that left the Sunbelt Conference. Seriously, go look at them. I can break it down for you in that early 2010s realignment. When you had a Texas State University, UTA, more on basketball and football side of things, and then you saw a bunch of conferences, like a bunch of teams, Middle Tennessee. I didn't bring that up the other day. Middle Tennessee, Florida Atlantic, Florida International, North Texas. They all split. Western Kentucky, I believe they were like years ago, and they wound up bailing way earlier than everybody else. But all that caused a depletion, and they needed more membership. Lo and behold, you get guys like Cap State, Georgia Southern, who made an immediate impact. Then you added on Idaho and you know New Mexico State, and that wound up kind of being a, a temporary thing. Then Coastal Carolina comes around. Now you have sustainability. Now you have programs that are starting to make moves. It's not just one or two teams. It's three, four, five. I think there's so much potential. I think unless you're the Warhawks or the Texas State Bobcats in football, you are going to be really, really good. Troy. I think Troy has a potential to do some great things in the next couple of years because they have a lot of potential. They just got to figure themselves out a little bit. South Alabama's got a lot to figure out, a lot of soul-searching to do before they make this big decision to get a guy that's going to turn this program around. Because they could. They could very well be the better team in the East Eastern Division because they have potential. I mean, a few years ago, this was a team that beat LSU. And Neil Brown parlayed that into a bigger job. There needs to be that moment for a lot of these guys. And the fact that now we're seeing more and more head coaches, for instance, App State, you saw Satterfield parlay his job into Louisville. You saw that happen. Then Eli Drinkwitz parlayed his one year at App State into a Power 5 job with Mizzou, and he turned that Mizzou program around real quick. And I think he deserves a lot more consideration for Sunbelt Conference, the SEC, listen to me, Coach of the Year. Jamie Chadwell just signed a seven-year contract extension, which could mean about, about a hill of beans, depending on what kind of job comes about over the next couple of years. Billy Napier, we know he's sticking around for this year. For the rest of this year, maybe next year. Maybe next year he does stick around for the entire season. But don't be surprised if that door comes a knocking. Don't be surprised if that door comes a knocking for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns head coach. Anywhere. Because if there's a place that's going to let go of their head coach, be it, you know, I've seen somebody bring up the Trojans of USC. I don't know about that. It'd be a great legacy job to have. But why do I just feel like it'd be more of an SEC-esque team or Big 12? Because I think Napier knows a lot more about this kind of region versus the West Coast. Yes, he spent some time at Arizona State, but that was like a year. He spent a year coaching at Arizona State as a wide receivers coach. He spent a year there. And then, lo and behold, he turns it around and makes this program like the biggest thing 
since sliced bread. I just feel like there is so much more potential for this program of the Cajuns that if Billy Napier leaves, it'll be the first time ever a head coach leaves to go get another job versus leaving not of their own accord. And if that happens, that makes the Sunbelt Conference better. Because now you can say, hey, this is becoming a sexier job. Because they're able to parlay that into success versus, you know, the Hudspeth era. Now it's the Billy Napier area and whoever else they're going to be taking over as the next era of Cajuns football. Whatever that is, it could be next year. It could be two years down the road. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for that Cajuns program. All right, it's under the Dome with CD right here on 1037thegame1037thegame.com. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself on this Saturday afternoon. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up hour number one in just a little bit. You're listening to this great show, Under the Dome with CD, on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, and 1037thegame.com. Hour one, getting ready to wrap up right now. Let me give you an idea of what's going on across the world of college football. Before we kind of head into hour number two, we got a lot of thoughts about what's going on with the world of college football. But right now, we got Alabama up on Arkansas, 17-3. to And thanks, Troy, for barging in there with 12-04 left in the second quarter. Georgia beating Mizzou right now, 14-7. to I'll some Eli Drinkwitz. Right now, they're, they had a punt just now, so yeah, they're going to go ahead and punt that one. Northwestern, ranked 14th in the country, a big surprise there. And they are up 7-3 right now with 11.36 left in the second quarter against Illinois. Then you got the Utes taking on the Colorado Buffaloes, tied 7-7 with 12 minutes left. The only other games really know to talk about Coastal Carolina, they're taking on Troy. Again, they're not horrible this year, but they could be better. That's all I'm going to say on that. North Carolina, Miami said to go on at 2.30. But outside of that, it's very much kind of like a, an eh slate. Michigan-Ohio State got postponed, but I think the main event everybody's going to watch because there's nothing else on, and it's going to be a Pac-12 after dark kind of sort of because it's not really Pac-12, but it's late enough, eight o'clock, 9 o'clock our time, San Diego State, BYU. I'm all the way for that. Again, I am team like Pac-12 after dark late night football. And it's just because of how I like always watch TV and the way I map out my Saturday. Especially in pre-COVID times. Back when we had more of Pac-12 after dark. And we had actual games that weren't at like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. I think that I love whenever, whenever you have Pac-12. Because usually I would do this show. Then I'd go cover a Cajuns game. Then I'd come home like 9, 10 o'clock at night after writing the story, going to the post game press conference, putting up the recap video, all that stuff, which is great. 
I'd go home. I'd watch TV while also maybe putting up a column or something or checking out some other things. And I've packed 12 after dark on. It just has been a tradition unlike any other. And as we approach the final week of this godforsaken season, I want to enjoy a little bit of football. And I think BYU-San Diego State, while it's probably going to be an absolute skull-dragging, I think it's still plenty of meat left on that proverbial bone. All right, it's under the dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. I'm going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we got a lot more to get to. And I talked about the Cajuns earlier. I'm going to talk about that CFP and their bias and why I understand it and why I think it should be changed. I'll talk about that and more when we come back. Ross Jackson at 1230. So make sure you keep it locked right here on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. And also, don't forget, we're on that free mobile app. Smart speakers, Amazon Echo, Google Home. Make sure you check that bad boy out. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. It's high noon and hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon. Right now we're coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. You can call us up right now 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about the Saints, LSU, the Cajuns, who knows what you want to get into, just call us up right now. Appreciate you listening in. Be it through the free mobile app, smart speakers, the old school FM dial. Just the fact that you're listening to the show is always absolutely appreciated. You can be doing a lot of different things, but you're here with me on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon. Getting ready for some LSU football later today. Maybe getting ready for some college basketball. Who knows? Like I don't know what you're going to do on a Saturday afternoon when LSU doesn't play till 6. Who knows, like, and there's so many really interesting games. There's no big game going on right now. I got the Utes going on in the background, and not those two Utes that my cousin Vinny was taking care of, which I actually wound up, like, watching parts of it the other night. And I have to say, that is probably one of my top, like, ten movies of all time, My Cousin Vinny, just in terms of just regular old movies. And I think that one is just always, when it's on, I am watching it. And I think it's almost solely because, like, one, Joe Pesci is hilarious in the movie, but number two, Mar- that's probably Mar- Marissa Tomei's best role she's ever had. And I've seen some. She's done a lot of great things, including, and this is something I've always, like, I get weirded out by for, like, a split second, is that she's, like, Aunt May in the new Spider-Man movies. Because you think about Aunt May, she's, like, an old, old, like, 67-year-old woman. No, it's Aunt May is Marissa Tomei, and it's absolutely 
cool. Like I love that. And the way they have her in the movie, it's choice. I'll just leave it at that. But now we'll get to what's caused all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And it's time for that Saturday sports sermon that you all been waiting for. The famous CB is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. The college football playoff has an understandable bias, but it continues to baffle me to this very day. That I was talking, I haven't kind of wanted to talk about it for a while. It's the way the college football playoff is. It's biased, and trust me, it's understandable. Because it's all about what's best for business. We talk about all the time, what's best for business? What's the best case scenario for this college football playoff to have interest? And the Big Ten, their move earlier this week proved a lot to me why this program, why the college football playoff continues to be the bane of a lot of people's existence, including the group of five programs. You look at the top ten, the only team that has a chance is Cincinnati, and they play Tulsa next week. So more likely than not, they can still stay in that top ten range. They're the Obi-Wan Kenobi only hope, but that would require a lot of things to happen for that to actually be pulled off. You would need Florida to lose tonight. You'd need him to lose in the SEC title game. You would need Georgia to lose. You need Iowa State to lose. You need Texas A&M to lose. You need Ohio State to lose that title game. But even then, I think there's still a chance they're going to get in it anyways. Because of the fact that there is a bias towards having more Power 5 conferences in this playoff. And we even talked about it the other day with the possible expansion. There will be more than enough SEC and ACC teams to fit that bill. There will be more than enough to fill that void. And maybe you have just one little bitty get in. That's if you go 12-0. That's if you run the table and do that. If you do that, then you get in. If you're Coastal Carolina, then you get in. But if you're, you have somebody who's a little bit better than you, in the eyes of the beholder, and Cincinnati is a little bit better, and mind you, right now they are the number eight seed. But it infuriates me to see Coastal Carolina still be treated like a second-class citizen behind Indiana. A 7-2 Oklahoma team. A 6-2 Georgia team is ranked above a 10-0 Coastal Carolina team that just beat a BYU team that was ranked pretty highly. Don't forget about that. Meanwhile, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they've had a fight and claw for everything they get in these rankings. Because they beat Iowa State week one. Now, yes, I think Iowa State, if they played each other now, would be a different conversation. But I still think this... Cajuns program deserves to be ranked a lot higher than 19th. And maybe it is a little bit biased for me because I did go to school there. I think a lot of people who listen to this program probably went to school at UL. And I like both LSU and UL. I think there's just so much more 
about what's going on with the state of the Sun Belt, of the state of the college football playoff, that you want to have the prestige, the prestigious programs like Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Right now, that's your Final Four. And I wouldn't be surprised that that's where they stay the rest of the way. If everything holds serve, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State is your Final Four. And everybody's going to hate on it. But here's the thing. It's best for business. Because let's just be honest with each other. If you had Cincinnati or Coastal or the Cajuns or anybody else in that slot in place of Ohio State, would it matter? Would it make a difference? I don't think so. I don't think they'd even get in that conversation to begin with because they'd figure out a way to shoehorn in a Florida, a Texas A&M. They'd figure out a way to shoehorn that one lost team that has like one little speck on their record just because they still want to have the Power Five in there. The Power Five just needs to fill the dance card. And I get it. It's business. Nobody pays to see the Cajuns underneath the bright lights taking on an Alabama, a Clemson, a Notre Dame. But that sucks. Because I've just been thinking about it the last couple days. Is that, you know, especially this morning I thought about it, what are we playing for? Realistically, what are the Cajuns playing for? Outside of the title. That's their ultimate goal is to win the conference title. But knowing that there's that glass ceiling and you can't break through it, even in expansion, because I guarantee you seven out of those eight spots will already be occupied by group of fives. And it was to say the Sunbelt Conference isn't looked at at a microscope and the AAC's Cincinnati gets a free pass because nobody else really pays attention. Who's to say? That doesn't happen. You would need the bomb to fall out for any group of five program to make it in. They'll figure out a way to keep the power five in and the group of five out in this current construct. Even to a certain extent at 18, the Cajuns are going to be let in. They'd be like Rudolph, not allowed to play in any of those reindeer games. And I talked about it a few weeks ago, a couple years ago actually, in a column on 1037thegame.com about why I think it's time for at least the conversation to begin on what's next and get a group of five college football playoff set up. Just do that. And especially if the Power Five wants to break away, and I wouldn't be surprised if the next five to ten years the Power Five breaks away from the NCAA and does their own thing. Then all bets are off. I'd say make the Power Five the Power Five. All those conferences, they do their own thing on all levels. The group of five takes over that, and it becomes the NCAA division. It becomes that true division one. Then we can have the conversation about the Cajuns, Coastal Carolina, all those teams being in there, but it's going to be the it's going to be almost like a division two state uh, division two national title. Compared to the Power Fives, bright and shiny college football playoff. Because it's just, 
it makes me wonder, we continue to see this. These same kind of teams get in. Notre Dame, any other year, I don't think they'd have a, have a take at being a snowball's chance in hell of making it in as an independent. But this year, since, the, since they're in the ACC, they should have a good chance. And as a matter of fact, they beat Clemson. I just feel like this program, right here, right now, and the way the CFP works, it's a little biased. Again, I understand it because there's money involved in all of this. And cash rules, and you know the world of college football, the national spotlight deserves to have programs like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State in there. Florida, on a rare occasion. This might be that time. If they can beat Alabama next week in Atlanta, the conversation shifts and says, hey, let's put Alabama stays in there. Take Clemson out. Clemson loses to Notre Dame. But if Notre Dame, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, all hell's going to break loose. Ohio State's going to get in with a 6-0 record, which should be an absolute atrocity in and of itself. But I'll leave that for you to talk about amongst yourselves. But it's continuing to prove that the bias towards the group of fives is somewhat justified, but at the same time, it's got to be frustrating for a lot of fans to know that what you're playing for, in all honesty, if you're the Cajuns, best case scenario is Camellia Bowl, the Lending Tree Bowl, even the, the Nola Bowl, which almost makes me puke in my mouth a little bit just saying that after the year you've had. You have to play on a three days notice. I'd much rather the Cajuns not play at all in a bowl game if that's what they get. I know Billy Napier wouldn't want that to happen. Just go ahead and try and end this thing on as positive a note as possible. And trust me, there's this is a year where the Cajuns have, I feel like, exceeded expectations to be 9-1 and one and be one win away from going 10-1 and one and having that Sunbelt Conference title. This is the time that the Cajuns deserve to have a lot better than a bowl game three days after you play. That is beyond unfair, and it's absolute BS that's even being considered. The Cajuns should just opt out of a bowl game like LSU, but there's no Title IX violation, but pretty much opt out of a bowl game if that's your only choice, to be able to put them in a damn New Orleans Bowl for the umpteenth time and the fact that it's three days after you face off against Coastal Carolina for the Sun Belt title. That's your consolation prize. The Cajuns should just say no. Not just no, but hell no. That's where I'm at. All right, it's under the Dome with CD. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. I'll be back with even more after this on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. And my God, what is going on right now? Because I just saw this pop up on Twitter from uh, Rob Douster. Going to try and look this up right now because this is this is kind of relatively breaking news. I think this is going to be on the. I think it's Keontae Johnson out of Florida. I'm trying to make sure I got this right. Yeah, Keontae Johnson. I'm trying to make, make sure I spell it right so I can get it. I'm trying to figure this out. This is yeah, college basketball. Florida Gators player collapsed during the game on court, but in stable condition, according to Rob Douster. And it's like, how do you continue this ball game? And he asked, and according to him, he wound up saying that I'm a like Leonard Hamilton, the head coach of Florida State. Request asked him if you wanted to continue playing this game, but it's crazy to see this. It's like, and it's wow because apparently the AP reported that Keontae Johnson, like most of his teammates, had tested positive for COVID nineteen, and Florida had shut down at the start of the season due to positive tests. And again, currently in critical but stable condition at a hospital. It's wild to think that they. It's like how can they like go on with a game like that? That is just crazy. That happened earlier today, and I'm just seeing this now. Whew, that's a lot to kind of unpack right now with those with those guys. I I don't even know where to kind of go from there and somehow pivot towards something a little more fun. But I'm going to try my damnedest to do it because I absolutely love this part of my week because of the fact that we got the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. I'm doing quite well on it, actually, in terms of the – overall VIP standings. I'm still behind Ray, but I'm coming for you, Ray. I'm coming for you. And like Coach O said, we ain't backing down. Right now, he's at 12,900. I'm only 500 points behind you, bud. And we've got a few weeks left in this season, so hopefully I can build some big mo and get it done. I had the Rams winning Thursday Night Football. I didn't expect them to win by that much. That was a wild one. But now we're going to get to the Sunday slate of games, which is going to be a lot of fun. And let's talk about it right now. In the league where they play. For pay. All right, let's look at the 12 o'clock matchups. First things first. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on those Minnesota Vikings. And those Vikings have been red hot as of late, but I think I got to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting it done. The young Bucks, or the old Bucks, I should say, with your boy TB12 looking like Thomas Winston, as a guy Kevin Foote likes to say. But I got to go with the Buccaneers getting the win over the Vikings. Very close contest, though. Then we get to the New York Giants. Taking on the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals making the trip over to the East Coast. And the Cardinals have not had a good time playing teams from the East. And the Giants are trying to make a rally. I'm going with an upset here. Going with the New York football Giants against my better judgment. I'm going with them winning that contest. Then we get to the Chiefs taking on the Dolphins. A way better Dolphins team than they have to, than they ever had credit, have had credit for. Give me the Chiefs getting the win there, and it'll be a one-sided contest. Then we go to Titans-Jags. 
Give me Titans taking down Duval, who has looked like doo doo. 111 on the year. Then we get to the Green Bay Packers taking on those Detroit football Lions. Adrian Peterson's happy that uh, your boy is no longer part of that program. But I think we have a lot to love about that. Your boy, Matt Patricia. Now, I think Green Bay gets the win and moves on to the next one and really starts to put a lot of fear into Saints fans' hearts because the Saints need them to lose one game. I think they do have one. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the Dallas Cowboys taking on those Cincinnati Bengals and the Bungles. i got to go with the Cowboys in this one. The Bungles have just sucked this year, and they need to just kind of pack it in, opt out of the rest of the season because it's just not looking good. Then we get to the last of these three, one of 12 o'clock matchups. Da Bears taking on Da Texans. Give me the Texans. The, the Bears have just been absolute frauds all year long. And they've become more exposed. And they just suck. They are falling off of like the highs of being like undefeated to being like at best like a top 10 pick. Because I feel they, they didn't take enough in this COVID year. Then we get to the bottom feeders of the NFC South and the AFC West. The Broncos taking on the Panthers. Give me Teddy Two Gloves and crew getting it done and getting the win. Then we get a 305 matchup that should be on Jefferson Pilot rather than on national television. With the Seahawks taking on the New York football J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Give me the Seahawks because the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. S-U-C-K sucks, sucks, suck. And I have the fact that they purposely tanked a game last Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. Speaking of those Raiders, they're taking on the Indianapolis Colts. I think we got to go with the old man Rivers getting it done against his former AFC West foe, and the Colts get the win, proved to 9-4. and four. Again, a better, way better than I expected that team to be. Then we get to the Washington football team taking on those lowly 49ers. I got to go with the football team, the team with no name that dethroned earlier this week the previously undefeated, undisputed Steelers, who are high-key overrated. They barely beat. They've only played like one or two good teams all year. The Washington football team gets that win over the 49ers. They're building something nice over there for the future. And also Alex Smith, comeback player of the year, no diggity, no doubt. The Saints and those Philadelphia Eagles. Saints make the trip up to Philly. It's going to be cold, cold, cold. But i got to go with the New Orleans Saints getting the win. And it'll be the game that we start to realize Taysom Hill is that damn good. Then we get to those Atlanta fail cans. Taking on those Los Angeles Chargers who absolutely need to put that franchise in rice because they are absolutely failing to charge at this point. Falcons, I got to get them the win there. The Dirty Birds are going to win. Chargers just need to reboot this entire team, get rid of Anthony Lynn, and figure things out from there. Then we get to those Pittsburgh Steelers. The Yenzers aren't going to be happy about this, but I got them losing their second straight because, say it with me, folks, one, two, three, no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Bills getting the win, 
uh, give them win. I was kind of looking at the, the way people are voting right now or picking on the Twin Peaks Pro Pickup Challenge. Currently 56 to 44%. Definitely a hotly contested Sunday night football matchup. We've been waiting all day for that one. And then we get to Monday night football. The Browns taking on those Baltimoreans who have absolutely fallen off the face of the planet. I think now there's more than enough film on your boy, Lamar Jackson. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns, and I hammered down on that one, especially on those odds. That's Those are some sweet odds. Two-and-a-half-point dogs are those Browns hammered down on that one. A couple other notable spreads that I think I just absolutely would – chomping the bit to take if sports betting were legal. It's going to be legal down the road. And trust me, some of these games I could very well be hammering down on down the line. But Green Bay-Detroit, eight-point spread. I'd, take, I'd definitely take Detroit to cover that one because Detroit has like lost some competitive games. I think there's some juice now with that franchise. I think Detroit has a chance to cover that eight-point spread. Meanwhile, I'm blown away by the way things are with Detroit, Seattle. With Seattle, New York Jets. That's a 14-point spread. I understand the Jets suck. But that's a team that's playing a very overrated defense. I think the Jets do cover that 14-point spread. They may suck, but they do cover. And I have to say, that's probably where I'd put my money at. If anything, it'd be the Jets, Seahawks, Jets cover that 14-point spread. And it's going to be a bad beat for a lot of people. Again, I don't bet because, well, it's not legal here. At least not yet. I definitely could. If I if I could, I would. But not right now. We're going to take a quick timeout under the Dome with CD. is going to return next. Ross Jackson joining the program. And we'll talk about those New Orleans Saints next. Right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up, man, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Let's hurry up and get on over to those Twin Peaks hotline right now. Talk with the guy at Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints Podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. What's going on, my good brother? Hey, brother. Doing very well, man. Always glad to be here with you. How are you holding up? I'm holding up all right, man. You know, definitely it's a wonderful Saturday morning out here. The Saints are on an absolute tear right now. It's just so cool to see the way the Saints have performed as of late. And the fact that they just beat the Falcons twice in three weeks, I'm feeling pretty damn good. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, like that, a really great way to kick off the holiday season. Uh, <laughs> you know, and now the Saints are actually on their way. They're one win away, uh, week 17 win away from doing something that's never been done in the NFC South before they could actually sweep the NFC South and go, undefeated against their division rivals. That's, that's not happened 
uh, in this division since it uh, came to be in the early 2000s. And also, it would be the first time ever a team has won the NFC South title four times in a row. That's the like, you, see, yeah. you think about it. Up until, what was it, 2014, when the Saints started sucking and then the Panthers came alive, that, that mm-hmm. Fran- that nobody had ever won two straight NFC South titles. Now it had been hot right. potato since Jump Street. Fast forward to now, it looks like the Saints are trying to make themselves the gatekeeper of the NFC South. Yeah, absolutely. And they're one win away from doing it. Uh, it'll be their fourth straight winning season as well. I mean, the turnaround after those 2014, 15, and 16 seasons when Sean Payton went back into the lab to figure out what needed to change, what he needed to do, bringing the you know practice, bringing uh, training camp and everything back to Metairie and all the other changes that he made, his approach, culture with the team, team building, his staff even. Uh, there were some big-time changes that happened after that 2016 season. And they've proven to be not only, you know, flash in the pan good, but consistently good because not only have we seen Sean Payton win over these last four years, the Saints continue to win over these last four years, we've seen them do it with three different quarterbacks with Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, and now Taysom Hill as well. And you bring up the fact you moved everything from Greenbrier back to Metairie. Was that all that needed mm-hmm. to be fixed? Because it's like we continue to look back at that those years when they were in the Greenbrier and the, that fancy-schmancy type of plays in West Virginia, was that all that really needed to be done was kind of just move it back to Metairie? It certainly seems like it because the San Francisco 49ers practiced at Greenbrier this year. Look at how their season has gone so far. So it certainly Ban the Greenbrier. Green was... <laughs> That's really it. The NFL really needs to do something about this. Uh, but it seems it seems like that was a big thing. But, of course, you know, I mean, they, they did some changes around the, the staff and uh, strength and conditioning. Um uh, medical staff and everything after the Delvin Bro uh, uh, situation, and you know a couple of other things in terms of decision making and you know promotions for Jeff Ireland and the way it's gotten uh, some of that scouting team built out, pro scouting and college football scouting. They, they've done some really really great things to keep that team consistently successful over the last uh, four years. It's just wild to think about how quickly things change. They went from being seven and nine to relevant and in the playoffs, and then thirteen and three the last two seasons. It looks like. Potentially, I'd say they're knocking on the door of thirteen and three again. Obviously, thirteen. If you go thirteen and three again, you're still going to be playing in that wild card round if everything holds up the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. But before we kind of get into more Saints talk, do you think the Green Bay Packers lose another game this year to pretty much take a lot of the heat off the Saints of being thirteen and three, but still would have to play like be like a two seed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be ideal for New Orleans in the situation that they're in. When you look at their schedule out over the next over the remaining four games of the season or remaining three you know, few weeks of the season, the the one game that really stands out is their I believe it's their week sixteen game. I can't remember if it's sixteen or fifteen, but you know, I think it's their second to last game yeah, against 16. the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. That that's the big one. That's the big one that takes They've got divisional games in there too. They but those divisional games are against the Lions and the Bears, of course. Uh, and so, you know, you can, you can say that, you know, it's an any given Sunday type situation, particularly when it comes to divisional games. It can always be wonky. It can always be weird. Uh, but the, the one game that really, really stands out to me is the, uh, the Tennessee Titans. I know that the Titans just took a, uh, nearly, I mean, a, a early, early deficit to the, uh, the Cleveland Browns who were shocking the world this season. Uh, or are finally living up to their expectations this season. I'm not really sure which one it is. 
But that that Tennessee Titans team is still extremely good, and they're a big-time run team, which is where the Green Bay Packers really, really struggle on defense. Oh, it's 100%. I think it, with the Cleveland Browns, I think it's just the fact they're finally living up to expectations, and maybe, just maybe, having Odell Beckham Jr. hurt may have been the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you expect, I kind of expected that once, once, you know, OBJ got hurt because he started to look pretty good early on in the season and things, other things seemed to start clicking. And then he got hurt. And I thought, oh man, maybe this is, maybe this is kind of it. But it seems like, like they've really figured out their identity as a run first team with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the way that they've been able to play, even winning without Kareem Hunt, the way that they have. They were the number one rushing team going into that game against Tennessee. I thought that Tennessee Cleveland game was going to be all about the ground game. And then all of a sudden, Baker Mayfield lit it up with four touchdowns out of nowhere. So, um, you know, if you can be multiple that way, especially at, during this stretch of the season, that's really, really beneficial. And you start seeing the, the opposite of that with the New Orleans Saints, a team that is usually noted as being a top passing team. They've run over 30 times. They've had over 30 rushing attempts in each of their last five games, and they've run over 200 yards each of their last two. So you've seen them really sort of become multiple by going from the passing game to the run game which I think is incredibly beneficial, of course, right now with Jason Hill under center. All right, let's get to the Saints, Ross. Obviously, big game tomorrow afternoon, 325, which, by the way, we've talked about this before. How crazy is it the fact that we've only had, I think, what, three noon games this year? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is it is pretty insane. Like, I mean, I, I sort of expected a, a ton more than, than what we've seen so far. But, you know, hey, I'll, I'll take what we're getting. It's like damn near – I mean, the last three games of the year, I think outside of the Panthers game, are all at 325. You got a Christmas Day, like, game. like Right. right which, by the way, I don't think we talked about this. How great is it that we have the Pelicans and the Saints basically playing back-to-back? It's like, in a year where you can't go to the movies on Christmas Day, this is the closest thing to a double feature we'll get? Yeah, that's a really solid point. I, I was so excited when I saw the Christmas Day schedule come out for the NBA. Uh, it's going to be such such a such a great day for. Um, I, I'll say, you know, I want to say a great day for Louisiana, but I know that the fandom for the Pelicans and the uh, the Saints, of course, goes beyond there. But it's going to be a particularly special day for Louisiana. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Especially if they can beat those Minnesota Vikings, who have definitely been on the come yeah. up. But let's let's focus in on the game itself. Obviously, now it's going to be the battle of backup quarterbacks with Taysom Hill. Presumably the guy of the future taking on Jalen Hurts, a guy who the Eagles drafted in the first round, didn't feel like they were going to see much of him, but lo and behold, he has a chance of becoming the guy now. Yeah, it's interesting to watch another team sort of undergo a process much like what we've been watching the Saints undergo for the last three games because even with Jalen Hurts going to be, you know, with them moving forward with Jalen Hurts in their center, for, at least for this game, potentially for, you know, as long as he's able to perform, they're they're really getting to a point now to where they're just evaluating young talent. I agree with that decision. I think that's a good decision. Um, and you know Carson Wentz has just been beaten and broken so far this season. He's taken more hits than any quarterback in the NFL. That offensive line is now about to start their 12th different starting unit in 13 games on Sunday. Um, not a great defense for Jalen Hurts to go up against to start off his first yeah. game in the NFL, but. Uh, you know, look, they want to get they want to get a look at them, and you know they they've got certainly some big questions to answer on their own as well. I mean, the the Drew Brees situation, of course, is an amicable situation. The Carson Wentz one is a lot more complicated, of course. Oh, it's a hundred percent a lot more complicated. But you know, I think 
when you look at Taysom Hill, I mean, obviously this is probably going to be the last game that he plays in. The Saints are just gearing Drew Brees up to play against the Kansas City Chiefs because that's the game you absolutely have to have him in there and put right. Taysom Hill back in that spot. But based off of the two games he played, we're not counting the Denver game. Boom, not a factor. Didn't, didn't right. pull, He didn't play that much of a factor in the actual game itself. But looking at what he did against the Falcons twice, what does he have to do for you to really believe that he is the guy for this franchise going forward? Because Sean Payton says it like a billion times a year that the future of our quarterback is in our room, and we all know who yep. that means, and it's Taysom Hill. What does he have to do for you Sunday to prove to you that he, he can be a handy guy to have take over this franchise? Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the key things that I'm looking for from Taysom Hill, and this has to be consistent over four quarters. It, it can't just be one half like it was against the, the, the second game against Atlanta. I want to see this over four quarters. I want to see him progressing through his reads. I want to see him combating and beating zone coverage just as much as he beats man coverage. I also want to see him put some touch on his throws. I want to see him make some of those spot throws where instead of him trying to gun a ball into a receiver at a hard angle, to put a ball over somebody's head, get it to where it's just the receiver and the sideline is the only option to be able to catch that ball. He had an out route to Michael Thomas last game or an over route toward the left sideline that I thought was a perfect opportunity for him to show some of that touch that, that I really want to see from him. And instead of him putting it over the head of the receiver and toward the sideline, he ended up trying to gut it in and it almost got picked off because cornerbacks can undercut that route. Darius Slay, if he's healthy and can play in this game, He's somebody that's going to eat on that type of an opportunity the entire game. He's not going to drop those interceptions like the young secondary and the busted secondary of Atlanta did. So you have to you have to be able to put those put some touch on those passes, sail those passes into a spot, throw the receiver open. Those are things that I really want to see from him. We started to see it a little bit in the first half of the game against Atlanta in the second uh, in, the, in this most recent game, but then we saw him start to get a little bit more confused and stifled by the defense showing new looks in the second half. Talk right now, Ross Jackson. Oh, 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 and, ball, and, and um, ball security. That's ball 100%. Security. Like, the ball security <laughs> is crucial for him because he, he has fumbled way too many times. And especially against that, that in that Falcons game, I just was like, come on now. We can't be losing the game like this. Like, not like this. Right. Like, it's one right. thing to Absolutely. allow, like, three straight onside kicks be converted, but th- <laughs> th- this, this is beyond the pale. Yeah, yeah, no, that that can happen. And and it's so uncharacteristic of him too, because we haven't seen that from him at any point in his career until this season. And we and it's not just when he's been under center and been playing quarterback. It's been throughout the entire season, even in that, that slasher role that he usually plays. So that's certainly something we want to see him clean up. The fumbles are easier to clean up than interceptions, you know, so thankfully he's not throwing going out there and throwing a bunch of interceptions. But you still want to see that ball security get get cleaned up. And we know Sean Payton has no tolerance for that. Oh, no doubt. No, no doubt. Talk right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. And, you know, you, you've been kind of pumping up something. You've kind of parroted what Russell Wilson's been saying, let Russ cook, and using it for let Kamara cook. I think I'd have to agree with you old Harley there, especially in the receiving game. Like, how yeah. huge is it to have Kamara be, be the Kamara of old? Because it just feels like now he's become Kamara 2019 post-Jags versus the Camaro we saw at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of this has to do with simply the fact that, you know, Taysom Hill's style and Alvin Kamara's style, and I get that, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Alvin Kamara is a humongous part of the, this team, not only right now, but for the future that presumably Taysom Hill will be the signal caller for. 
So these he needs to get to a place where he's comfortable throwing the ball to Alvin Kamara and throwing those check down passes uh, in the flats and everything, as opposed to always having his eyes downfield. Obviously, like for Saints fans, they want to see the you know the pretty passes downfield and things like that. They, they want to see those opportunities, and I get it. But Alvin Kamara just got a brand new contract. He's sticking around in New Orleans. He ain't going anywhere. This is a humongous part of his game, and has been a humongous part of the state's success over the past three seasons, or, or since 2017 when he was drafted. And so you want to see him get the ball, especially in a game like this where there are linebackers. The the prototype, the prototypical linebacker in Philadelphia is the prototypical safety in New Orleans. That it's not the same conversation. New Orleans likes their downhill thumper, Demario Davis, Rangy, uh, Quan Alexander, a little bit of both with Alex Anzalone. That's what they like. But for Philadelphia, they just want they just want four safeties on the field at all times, you know. And and when they have three linebackers out there, they want five safeties on the field. And so this is a, a phenomenal opportunity to really be able to develop some trust between Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara. Because if you get the ball to Alvin Kamara in the passing game, in this game, he's going to make plays. He's going to have some big plays and some big runaway moments, and that's going to help develop that trust in between. Oh, if I check it down here, then all of a sudden this is a 15, 20-yard game. I'd agree with you. I think he's absolutely huge on that offensive side of the football. But again, it just feels like, to me, we're seeing it be more of the Michael Thomas show now that we're towards the end of the season. And it's just the fact that I think Taysom Hill has that – we talked about it last week and we talked about the last couple. It's the security blanket type effect. And Michael Thomas is a great security Mm -hmm. blanket for a guy like Taysom Hill. But I think going forward, if he's going to be the quarterback of the future, like we hear Sean Payton say a billion and one times he needs to find another security blanket besides Thomas because even if you can't guard Mike people are going to be put double coverage on him every time right absolutely and you're going to open up opportunities for the guys he the fact of the matter is that Daysmail has several safety blankets on this offense the, the communication and, and the chemistry that he's built with Adam Troutman gets him there as a tight end that's close to the line of scrimmage Jerry Cook can be that guy when he catches passes, and certainly he's somebody that I'm looking at in this game because tight ends have been very successful against the Philadelphia Eagles defense, and this is a big opportunity for him to really step up and maybe pick up some momentum on last week's touchdown. Um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is somebody that hasn't gotten super into the mix so far for Taysom Hill, but he's another shorthanded veteran receiver that can also stretch the field. I mean, Taysom has a lot of options along this offense. We certainly saw him spread the ball out a little bit more last week, but now you just want to see that continue to progress. That, that's really the big thing is continue to take steps forward. Don't take any steps back, and then that's enough to sort of, you know, continue the evaluation of Taysom Hill as the future, future quarterback in New Orleans. I was going to say every defensive coordinator is going to put double coverage on Michael Thomas, but I forget about Greg Williams. If it's 14 seconds left, he's going to load the damn box. Like, yeah, can we just laugh right. at Greg Williams and how much of an idiot he is? And more likely than not, this was his last chance, and he did exactly what the Jets wanted him to do was tank on purpose, and now he doesn't have a job and likely won't have a job in the NFL anymore, and it almost feels like 10 years too late. It really does. It really. I'm shocked that he has continued to float around the NFL as long as he has as a DC and all the other positions that he's held with Cleveland and now and then with the Jets. It, it, it's absolutely wild to me that he has found his way around the league uh, 
after everything that he has done. And, you know, I, I obviously have my reservations when it comes to the entire landscape of Bounty Gate, but his involvement in terms of just the type of person that he is, I'm shocked that he's even still been in the NFL, not to mention him being terrible as a defensive coordinator, as a coach, everything that he's done in his time ever since then. And so I am... I'm I'm relieved to see that he's no longer you know holding a job, and I'm hopeful that he won't get another one, and that maybe he'll you know I was going to say maybe he'll be coaching like you know his kid's pee wee league or something, but I wouldn't even get him involved in that. Just get him a, a, a let him be a greeter at Walmart and, and, and keep the change to a pole or something. <laughs> let him be a greeter at Walmart. I absolutely love it. Knowing him, he'd be like like he'd be like, hey, welcome to Walmart. Attack the head, the body will die. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you don't get to talk, Greg. Just hold this sign up, and that's it. Make him one of those little like sign twirlers. No, no, make no, yeah. no, make him like we're in the holiday spirit. Have him like the Salvation Army at the Walmart, just just ringing the bell, ring the bell. Don't say anything, Greg, because we know you want to say it. Attack the head, body will die. Attack the head, body will die. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, man. It, it's wild. Uh, but I appreciate it, Ross, for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. We're going to probably bump you up a little bit because we got LSU Ole Miss starting at 2.30, 12.30 pregame. Perfect. Yeah, no problem, man. Whenever you need me, I'm here. I appreciate you. I look forward to talking to you next weekend. Stay safe and enjoy the, uh, enjoy the week, man. All right, Ross. Take it easy, my man. That was Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. And we're about to wrap up the show. Get one final take in. Right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD wraps up next. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. The one final take for this week, I think without a doubt, it's the fact that, you know, I brought up some of the stuff with the CFP bias. I just think that's just the way it's going to be. But I also feel like it can be changed. It should be changed, but it won't ever be changed. Because the college football playoff wants to see the big dogs win this entire thing. They want to see every year the best of the best. It's a bigger reason why I love the NCAA tournament because the March Madness. It's a bigger reason why I love the College World Series because you have opportunities to see programs like a Coastal Carolina thrive in that kind of postseason situation. Am I saying you go with a straight-up 32-64 to 64 team? Hell no. I think you would just expand it to 8 and maybe at the most 16. I don't think the world's ready for 16 teams in the college football playoff. I saw those projections, and honestly, even then, I'm not a fan of it. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Under the Dome with CD is done. Next week, we are going to be, I believe, from 11 to 12.30, leading you up to LSU pregame. And then two weeks after, the, on the 26th, I'll get back to you on that. But in the meantime and in between time, thank you for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Until then, see you. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's on. Oh, yeah. Kick it.